So hello and welcome to the RPG Academy podcast. My name, of course, is Michael, and we are here tonight for Detention Live with special guest co-host Big Al the Lawyer, not by Gal the Lawyer. It's very, it's very important that you get those two things separate because some people don't, and I am not by Gal, I am Big Al. Yes. Not that there's anything wrong with by Gals, but just not you. That's right. Exactly. 100%. 100%. So welcome, Big Al. Now, you and I have known each other now for quite a while. You are a regular listener to the show. You're a patron of ours. You have participated on a couple different shows and a couple different elements. But this is your first detention. Uh, so give us the, the two-minute uh, rundown on you, your bona fides, uh, you know, your, your social medias where people can get a hold of you if they want to after you wow them with your TTRP RPG knowledge tonight. I can almost guarantee that I will not wow anybody, but you never know. Maybe I will wow myself. You can get a bad wow. You can get a wow. <laughs> That's possible too. Um, so most likely I would say uh, look for me on Twitter, uh, Big Al the Lawyer, uh, at Big Al the Lawyer. Um, I'm pretty active on the RPG Academy Discord. I'm actually very active on the RPG Academy Discord. Um, and then after that, um, that's about it. Yeah, that's it. All right. Well, welcome. Well, anybody who might be watching or listening for the first time, Detention is sort of a loosey-goosey format RPG talk show. Uh, I just now remember that I forgot to change the stream setting, so it just went out that we were playing 13th Age again tonight. Oh, well, too late for that. But uh, we're going to just talk about some RPG stuff. we got a few segments. we got some improv games we're going to play, and we're going to jump into it. But before we do that, we actually have a special service announcement tonight. So just a couple days ago, we got our 133rd iTunes rating slash review, which is amazing. I'm so ecstatic that we got that many. That, that's a huge number. It, it's been a while since it's changed, so I was actually just kind of happy that it had you know, it'd gone from 132 to 133. It's been months and months and months. But it was a pretty interesting uh, review. So I wanted to take a moment to um, read it uh, because it also... I guess, interestingly, hold on, my phone's going crazy. It asked a question. And I've never had someone ask me a question through a review before, so we're going to take the opportunity now to try to address it. So this review is titled Little Help with a question mark. And it actually cuts off the name, but it's Cubone and Natru Trainer LA dot dot dot. So I don't know what it is from there. And that person asks, I want to create a character that is an owl. Is there a specific race that are owls? Or am I out of luck? Also, what would be the best class for something like that? Please let me know if you have any ideas. Much appreciated. Uh, so first of all, thank you for the review. I, 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 I love it. I love the fact that someone asked me a question through a review. The problem is that I left a review for my own show nine years ago. So I can't really re respond so, uh by replying back to the uh, review, so we're going to answer here tonight. So I'll start with you, Al. Do you have any questions, or, or do you have any sorry, any thoughts, any comments about any races that would be owl-ish, and then what classes would be good for an owl-type character? I do not have any input as far as race. I think if you're looking at classes, I would probably lean toward a ranger or. Um, Ooh. Let me think about that. But that's the first one that pops into my head. 
Okay. So I, I like that a, a lot. Uh, so I would say as far as races go, the Aracocca, Crocra, or Aracocra, however you say that, Aracocra, which is the bird-like uh, race in 5th edition, makes the most sense. I think you could flavor it as an owl without any problems. I'm not enough of a aviary person to know the, all the differences between an owl and a bird. They both fly. They both have feathers. I know the owl's supposed to be able to turn their head around, which is kind of weird. Uh, maybe like the night nocturnal, so they might get like a dark vision where other other races don't. Uh, eating their food whole and then like vomiting up those pellets, uh, you know, that might be something you can just work in. But I'm trying to think of a good class that would take advantage of the swift mobility and then the ability to like fly and, you know, add 3d terrain. My, my classic go-to is wizard because I always like to play wizards. So there's, there's the best class or objectively they're better than all the others. Uh, so you'd be able to kind of stay out of range, be able to maneuver over the battlefield. But I actually think ranger might even be a slightly better option here because you also get like the ranged melee or ranged melee, the ranged attacks, not melee attacks. Uh, and then you also have a lot of spells that often have to do with terrain. So like you have like the spike growth or the, you know, getting the, the weeds to grow up and entangle people and you don't have to worry about any of that because you can fly. So a ranger probably would be a very good option if you have a flying character. Uh, welcome, Tom. Tom's hanging out with us for a few minutes tonight as well. Thank you, sir, for being here. So any thoughts on that? Uh, so Wizard and on the Aracocra or any other pot potential uh, races for our question. We're, we're throwing that out to the audience, yes. Uh, well, I'll throw it out to you as well. Oh, I'm sorry. I was I was totally looking up your Aracocra. Aracocra. Yeah, I'm sure I pronounced that wrong because that's I, what I do. Oh, man, that's rough. Um. Yeah, that's really like probably the best thing that you could come up with. I mean, you could do like a, a beast hide, which would be like a like a wear touched maybe. Okay. I want to go back and forth. A wear owl? A wear owl? Yeah. It'd be kind of weird, but also kind of cool. I mean, I'd like it. <laughs> yeah, I think it'd be cool. Uh, you almost do like a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde Hulk thing where you, you owl out and then you grow wings and you get big and buff because owls are pretty staunt uh you know stout little dudes now if you are the only if you're the only owl creature in the party i mean i think i might lean even more towards like a cleric role uh, where you're really kind of uh doing a lot of the aiding that everybody needs everybody needs aid everybody needs aid so it's not a bad thing to do that but i might lean towards that if i if you're the only owl in the party yeah, you get around the battlefield doing your heal spells, and you know you have a few offensive capabilities as well. So, because again, we're kind of assuming this is fifth edition, may not be, uh, but yeah, I think that would work. So, hopefully, that has helped you a little bit. Um, our, our our review question person, and I have no idea if you're listening to the show or where you're at, but hopefully, you'll hear this at some point in time, and and you're off playing Owl Boys uh, because they're they'd be fun to play. All right, so with that, we'll jump into the show proper, and we're going to start off with what we do call extracurricular, and this is where we just talk about what we've been up to, recent stuff, books, TV, movies, CDs, comics, anything in particular that you'd like to talk about or share. Big Al, I'll start with you. What you been up to lately, buddy? Uh, the wife and I um, streamed and, and binged as much as we binge uh, Stargirl, so that was fun. Um, 
that was probably the fastest we've gone through a, a season of television since we binged Lost years and years and years ago. Wow. So yeah, it was. Uh, we had a lot of fun with it. It was a show that just kind of kept us coming back for more. Um, after that, I can't really think of too much more that's really been big on my radar. Um, I've been doing a whole lot of work as an attorney. Uh, it kind of gets swamped at the beginning of the year and sometimes in the middle and sometimes at the end and sometimes pretty much every month. But uh, it seems like it's been pretty rough recently. So uh, I haven't had too much of the extracurricular, unfortunately. Gotcha. All right. So I, I mentioned Stargirl to you a while back. It's something I had watched and I rather enjoyed it. I think it's got some very peaks and valleys. Like there's a few episodes in particular that feel like filler, even though it's only a 13 episode season. But it does do a thing where at the end of every episode, something happens that's like, okay, now I got to watch the next one. Like they do a really good job at the end of every episode. There's like a cliffhanger or a revelation or some sort of situation. You're like, oh, wow, I, I need to know how this resolves. And, you know, it kind of wants you to, to go to the next one. And I've been re-watching it with my kids. So it was actually part of my extracurricular as well as I had watched it by myself. And I'm like, you know, this this is a, a good kid type of show. There's a lot of that power fantasy that I had as a young kid. You know, you're a superhero, but you're in high school, which is still older than my kids. But, you know, they're in school. Uh, and then, you know, you start bringing your friends in. So then you get your friends who are also superheroes. So there's a lot of elements that I thought my kids would enjoy. And they are absolutely loving it. We're, we're keeping them to one episode a night. But they probably would have binged the whole show in like two or three nights if I'd let them. But we watch one episode a night and then we, you know, do something else. Uh, so they're really getting a kick out of that. It looks like there's a new season coming, I think, with COVID. I don't know what the release schedule looks like, but it looks like we'll get more, which I'm I'm excited for. And I just got to say, um, is it, it's Luke Wilson, is like stepdad of the century. Like, it's one of the things that really surprised me about that show is how good of just a dude that guy is. I mean, it's it's a weird, it's a superhero show, but he tries whenever he can to do the right thing. He's trying to be a good stepdad. He's trying to be a good dad. He's trying to be a good husband. And I think he's actually the most interesting character. It might be my age. You know, maybe I identify more with the stepdad as a 45-year-old man than I do the, you know, 15-year-old high school girl. But I was really compelled by his character in that show. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, we could do a whole show probably on the show. Um, but you know what I think we like what's cool about it is that you've got stuff that appeals to your kids and stuff that would appeal to a younger generation, but interwoven with all that is a bunch of really adult themes. I mean, I, I was telling my wife, I said, I'm pretty sure somebody dies in almost every single episode. I mean, it is, there's a lot of really kind of mature content, even with the very family friendly content as well. So it's a, it's an interesting balance and they do a really good job. Uh, but Luke Wilson uh, is fantastic in it. Um, I think there's probably uh, in the future when, when the Loki show gets going and we get Owen Wilson on the MCU, I think there's probably a really good joke about the Wilson brothers competing between DC and MCU, but uh, we'll leave that for another day. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of that again, just to let people know that we do have a Patreon because I, I never promote that, uh, patreon.com slash the RPG Academy, which Big Al is a member of. And one of the things that we've been doing recently are patron one-on-ones where people can sign up. And we just do like chats, you know, once a week I sit down with somebody, we talk about whatever. And you and I have one coming up where we're going to talk about Stargirl and maybe wider Superman or wider DC universe type stuff. I said Superman because I fell into Smallville because that's the other podcast I do. Uh, but yeah, we're going to 
kind of deep dive and, you know, it'll be a very spoilery conversation. But uh, if you're a patron, you can listen to those. And if you're a patron, you can sign up for those. So let me know. And I can almost guarantee, Mike, that when we talk about Stargirl, we are definitely going to talk about Smallville. All right, good. All right, you know, that's that's a subject near and dear to my heart. Uh, Tom has weighed in that he is crocheting as he is watching us and that the Stargirl show was written by Jeff Johns, which I'm fuzzy on the details, so Tom might be able to clarify, but I believe that Stargirl was created by Jeff Johns uh, in sort of honor of his sister who died at a young age. I think the characters Courtney is named after his sister. Um, I believe that's the way it works. I, I know someone involved with the show, either producer, creator, writer, uh, that's sort of the origin of the character of Stargirl. Um, the, the comic character, which is the show is based off of is that uh, his sister had died at a young age. And that was kind of a sort of emotional thing. So I think that, that it's Jeff Johns. So, Oh uh, yeah, but it's a good show. Definitely check it out. The other thing I would mention in my extracurricular is we've been doing this for a few weeks now. Like almost every night after dinner, we've been playing a game as a family. And my wife's not a big game person. She has a few of them that she enjoys, but for the most part, she just humors me. And I try to find things that I think she'll like. The boys are a lot more open to whatever. They'll they'll play quite a few games that I'll I'll bring to the table. And uh, but they're also young. Like I have nine and 10 year olds. So there's a lot of the games that I particularly enjoy that I don't think they're quite ready for the le- level of strategy that would be involved to, to play them correctly. Uh, but my wife's favorite game is Pandemic. She really, really likes that game. It's out of all the games we've ever played, that's the one she goes to. And we had been playing Forbidden Island with the boys for a while. And if you're, are you familiar with Forbidden Island, Al? I'm, no, I'm not. Um, my kids have they say they want to play games, and um, we try, and it falls apart really quickly. So we just don't really try too much anymore. Gotcha. So, so Forbidden Islands is—I would describe it as like Pandemic Light. It's very much the same game. It's a cooperative game where you move around the board. You have—you uh, know—you're drawing cards, and then you use those cards to fulfill objectives. And there's a random element. Sometimes you draw a card that tells you to make things worse. In Pandemic, it's that a virus spreads. In Forbidden Islands, is that the island is sinking. And if it sinks, you know, completely under the waves, pieces and parts of the island can go away. So we've been playing Forbidden Islands for quite a while, and the kids have kind of got it down. So I thought, you know what, let's let's try Pandemic. It's not that much harder. And it does have the, in this case, benefit where you can kind of quarterback so we can, like, help them if they don't really know the best strategy. We can say, well, you know, you could do this or this because it's cooperative. But we played it on what I would call easy mode. Because I have the Pandemic Legacy Season 1, but we've never played the Legacy aspects. All we've done is, I, it's just a very good version of the game. It's good board, good components, well made. So we've been using that, but there are eight specialty cards that you can put into the deck that are like bonuses. Like one lets you move a character, one you get extra turns, one you can negate the bad thing happening, whatever. But you're only supposed to pick four of them. Well, the first time we played, we put in all eight. And we like crush the game and like the wife and I were just talking about like man this is like the easiest game we've ever played like we didn't have any outbreaks the entire time and at the end when it was all over I, I explained it's like well you know we did did kind of play it on easy mode so next time let's play it on regular mode we'll play it on hard mode we'll play it on regular mode so we set it up tonight and we got destroyed I mean <laughs> destroyed so one of the ways that you can lose is if you have your eighth outbreak you lose the game and just doesn't matter how what else is going on. Once you get to eight outbreaks, you lose. Well, we got to eight, 
And the wife's like, well, I don't want to quit. Let's just let's just ignore that rule and keep playing anyways. So we reset the counter to zero. We got to eight additional outbreaks. And finally, everyone's like, okay, no, we're done. We can't win. So the difference of having eight of those cars versus four, and there's also some random elements, we got just crushed in the game. So I'm hoping that the boys will want to play again because I almost feel like they were like excited because they won so easily last time that uh, that maybe they had a, a, a bad impression of what the game would be like in the future. But anyways, uh, that's what I've been up to uh, these last few weeks. So we cool. will move into our first improv game, which is 10 Things. This is a game where you try to come up with a list of 10 items that fit the prompt. Immediacy is more important than accuracy. Uh, Big Al, you're the guest. Would you like to go first as far as giving the list or giving the prompt? Um, I'll give the list first. Give me the list. Give me, give me the prompt. I'll give the list. Okay. So give me 10 games that you would like to play with your family if things went well. Um, I'd like to play um, Mouse Guard. I'd like to One. play uh, D&D. Two. I'd like to play um, Star Wars. Three. Um, I could really just name every role-playing game. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, I'd like to play Trudvong Four. with them. I'd love to play Aliens. Five. An alien Because that would be fine. I could, oh, man, that'd be fine. Anyway, um, um, I'd like to play uh, Dune, the board game. I'd love to play that. Six. Um, I'd like to play Marvel Legends. Seven. I'd like to play... Um, the DC deck building game, which is hey, nice. And awesome. We've played that one um, recently. I'd like to play. Hmm, I'd like to play Warhammer. Nine. Um, forty k, uh, not not the regular, but still. Uh, and last but not least, I would like to play. Parcheesy. Ten. Yay. Those, in fact, were ten things. Alrighty. So, Big Al, now it's your turn to give me a prompt, and I will try to come up with a list of ten things. All right. Um, give me ten places that you would like to take your boys for vacation. To uh, a cabin in the woods that's one. haunted and will become more haunted because we will read a book in the basement that has Latin in it. Yes. Still just one. Uh, they want to go to Harry Potter World so badly. Two. Uh, they want to go back to Legoland. They did get a chance to go there. Three. Um, I want to go to Ireland. I don't care what they want. <laughs> Four. <laughs> I'd like to go to Japan. Again, don't care what they want. Five. Uh, there's got to be like a video game museum somewhere, so go to that. Six. Uh, when they're a little bit older, take them to Gen Con with me. Seven. When they're old enough to utilize their free labor, the Catacon with me. Eight. Uh, the faculty retreat that we hopefully will have again this year. Nine. And uh, ba, 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 uh, what's another good one place I want to go to? Um, Italy, because why not? Heck yeah, ten. Yeah, those were in fact ten things. All right, so now we're going to move into used books. This is most like the meat and potato portion of the show, and we're going to talk about a previous campaign that Big Al has either played in or ran. And see if we can mine it for some do different or keep doings, things that we can lessons learned so we can make our future games better. So, Big Al, do you have a campaign you'd like to talk about tonight? Yes. I'm going to talk about the first campaign that I ever ran. Ooh. Um, so, to lay the, the background for this, I started listening to your podcast and a couple other podcasts. 
And I thought, you know, these people are my people. I don't know why I've never played role-playing games, but I've got to play them. And I bought the, uh, the 5e uh, player's guide. And I said, all right, now I got to find people to play. And lo and behold, one of my friends uh, who, uh, well, one of my friends uh, had played in the past uh, and wanted to play again. And I said, cool, find some other people and I'll run a game. And so he found other people because he didn't want to run it. He just wanted to play. I said, that's fine. I don't mind running. I'm creative. I like to create things. Let's do this. So um, he found his buddy and his buddy's wife. So it's him, his buddy, his buddy's wife. And I pulled in another guy that's interested. So we got, uh, we got four players and me running. And when I was looking at it, trying to figure out what do I want to do, I realized really early on that I have no background in Dungeons and Dragons, meaning that there is no way that I'm comfortable running in any sandbox that already exists. So I made my own sandbox. Okay, we're gonna homebrew this the whole way. Sure. And and if you're gonna go, go big. So I said, all right, we're gonna do a steampunk aesthetic. All right, we're gonna be, we're gonna try and magic's gonna exist, but it's gonna be rare. We're gonna talk with guns. Uh, guns are gonna be like ranged weapons, and we're gonna deal with them. Similarly, um, they'll be potentially more dangerous, but also uh, less likely to find ammo and, and you have to actually spend time and effort to make it and so on and so forth. Uh, and then of course, swords and everything else. So it's just kind of a mix of everything. Um, and I created this story and I created this land and I said, let's do this. And the first thing I did was say, okay, we're gonna have our first session. So mistake number one, I had no zero, I had no session zero. So that's mistake number one, but that's fine because session one was okay. Um, but within session one, I can say mistake number two. Mistake number two was not having the group start out together. Mm -hmm. Railroading four people to one place to get them moving in a direction is really difficult. <laughs> Uh, or at least it's it's not as easy as you would think it might be if you'd never tried it before. Um, try it once and you won't do it again. Um, because ultimately, you know, we played for three hours maybe and the group cohesed into a group and decided that they were going to leave and go off towards one objective. And that was the first session. Second session is a um, cool session. Uh, there's a, a little bit of a, a small, small dungeon. There's not a lot of bad guys. Uh, it's more of a um, atmospheric type situation. Um, I created a, a thing where they they decided to explore a um, an entryway that they had found that went into the ground. And ultimately what it was was kind of like uh, an inverted pyramid. But once you got to the bottom, it opened up into a room that was so vast that it sucked all the light out and it was so big that you could easily be lost. Um, and so the idea was basically, you know, I can do whatever I want to in here. Uh, and we'll get to it later, but they uh, had an, an interaction with a doppelganger, okay? Uh, and one of them died. This is great, right? One of them died. Yeah. Um, another one was knocked unconscious. Uh, and I had created, uh, because I also wanted to play a little, I had created a cipher character for myself that would show up occasionally 
and save their asses. Mm. And honestly, nobody had a problem with it. Um, so my cypher character shows up, saves their asses, pulls them out of there. He's like, what the hell are you doing? Um, and then that was the end of the first session. I mean, the second session. So third session um, was a trip across the desert. And there was a tiger or a lion of some sort that they uh, ran into. Um, it was pretty cool. Um, they were able to get around that without even inflicting any danger on it, any, any excuse me, any damage to it. It ended at a um, at an oasis uh, with a tent and this cult that was basically a branch of um, a cult that had to do with the main storyline in the entire story. And they had a nice big battle. Everybody liked it. Um, lots of cool stuff they got out of it they got stuff to make armor and they got i mean they just had a lot of fun uh, everybody had a good time and then my friend's buddy and his wife got a divorce oh <laughs> and the group never met again <laughs> so it died prematurely um everybody was having a pretty good time uh, there's a whole lot that i learned in it um the character that died in the um, the first, the second session, uh, I had to annoy him. I had decided that cats were going to be drawn to him. So he could not, he kept running into these cats. Um, in fact, whenever I'm trying to get them together in the, in the very first session in the tavern, um, I had these cats come up to him and he got mad and kicked at one. And he rolled a one. I made him roll for it. He rolled a one. Roll so for kicking the cat. Yeah, he missed, hit the ground. The cat scratched him and he got a point of poison damage to him. <laughs> so, I mean, I had, I had a lot of fun with the cat guy, uh, but I, I also did not want him to die when he died. It was really way too premature and I had thrown in a bad guy that was too big for him, obviously. And so what I did was I gave him a, a magic cat. So one of those cats that followed him uh, was a resurrection cat and uh, dug him out peed on him, dug him out, and he came back to life. Um, so he was both he was both happy and annoyed <laughs> at, at, at the turn of circumstances. Um, but I think ultimately that was another huge mistake because I gave uh, I gave one person way too much power early on, and then trying to balance that with other people was kind of difficult. The um, the female in the group wanted to be a, um, a gunslinger and she sure why not yes and she went all out so she was like well can i have explosive bullets and i guess I mean, I, I, i've never done this before so yeah sure if you yeah. want it i'll give it to you that sounds I'll awesome like, um it, it was uh and it's kind of one of the reasons that we were able to do some of the uh, you know hardier hardier bad guys in the beginning and stuff but it also was a bit ridiculous because because of how amazing she was with her guns, she never wanted to do anything other than shoot. Oh, <laughs> she had no she had no interest in anything else. Um, so I had one character with the cat that was interested in alternative resolutions. I had one character that wanted to blow up everything. I had one character that basically was um, the guy in the party that just was drug around and enjoyed being there but also was kind of the guy that just kind of complained about everything mm. not necessarily in a bad way but just that was his character which was fine 
Uh, and then the, the third guy, he could not be there all the time. And um, so we basically made him a, a forgetful wizard, I believe. Um, so he would, he would occasionally get lost and then he'd show up again. And we're like, oh, okay, he's back. Um, but yeah, it all fell apart. Just, just like that. So, so first of all, I want to acknowledge Tom Sparrow jumped in the chat. So welcome, Tom Sparrow. Thank you for hanging out with us. Uh, two, Tom says that this campaign sounds wonderful and that he also gives his powers way too much, his players way too much power early on. So I think this is very much a classic, my first DMing story. We have, we have all the hits here. This, this is like the, uh, the kids bop version of, of a DM. Like everything's there, everything you would expect to be there. Uh, so one, you felt to have session zero. So ding, everyone take a drink. Now, I assume anyone listening to this is familiar with my passion for Session Zeros and what they are. So we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about that that tonight. But just in case someone is new, I continue to see Session Zero on, on like the Facebook groups I'm a part of and on Twitter. It sounds like Session Zeros are really starting to make inroads that more and more people are coming to do them and understand them. But even then, I still continue to see people misunderstanding what they are. Because in addition to... You know, I think people do them for different reasons and have different different purposes behind them. And I don't think they always get across what they're supposed to get across. I see a lot of times people take session zeros and use them as a learn your character. Like they'll do almost like a X room or X-Men danger room scenario where the session zero is just a fight where people can like learn how the character works. And that's important. But that isn't what I think of as a session zero whatsoever. I think the the majority of a session zero should be, in my mind, figuring out how our characters are going to work together. So you have the character who only wants to gunsling and shoot things. You have the character that wants to like try to come up with interesting and maybe quirky resolutions to problems. And then you have a person who doesn't really know what their role is. That, to me, is a perfect time for session zero to be brought in and like... How does this work? How are our characters going to get together? How are they going to make sense together? That if we were in a quote unquote in a real world and these were people who decided to hang out together, how is this going to work? And you didn't have that. So you were trying to figure it out in real time, which can be fun and can be rewarding when it works, when it eventually clicks together, but it can also be very frustrating. Uh, you also didn't start with your characters together, which is classic. Very few people start that way, but it is a ton of problems that you're creating for yourself. And then ultimately you have a fun game that dies for no reason of your own. It just was outside of your control, which is just very much again, classic. Uh, so other than session zero, cause I feel like we have covered that so many times in other places. If you were to do it again, same players, same scenario, how much do you think just saying you're a group starting off at the very beginning would have helped or changed the trajectory of your game up until the point that it fell apart under no failure of your own? Um, honestly, I don't know that it would have changed it very much. I think the frustrations that I had with the the first session and, and trying to uh, uh, corral all these characters to one place so that they would meet were really basically mine um nobody else complained about it and and i think it's because um i was very purposeful and made sure that i was going 
to each character and making sure that each character had adequate time to do what they wanted to do and how they wanted to do it. I just had to figure out some way to get them in one place. Um, but I think that if I, if I had not, if I had put them together or if I had told them, you know, each other, talk amongst yourselves, figure out how you know each other, but you're, you're together in a tavern and I had to start in a tavern, right? Like that's yeah, again, classic. <laughs> um, so I think if I'd have done that, the one thing that I think would have been different is that I would have been able to probably lay more groundwork in terms of what they were actually trying to do eventually. Um, there was a long-term uh, storyline, uh, basically where you had, um, if Tom's still there, I don't know if he's still there or not, but if he's he still is, there, he, he did ask if your players got a divorce because of your game. I don't think so, but I'll get to that too. But anyway, um, no, uh, Tom will appreciate this. I, I totally stole a, a, a plot line from um, the Mistborn series. And so my background for this whole thing was that there was this uh, world ruler that had ruled this entire world for a long, long time, super magical, so on and so forth. And um, somebody, a stranger, shows up in steampunk Iron Man uh, number one bulky thing uh, and kills him. And uh, before he dies, he's like, oh, you just, you know, you you killed me you've you've destroyed me but who's gonna who's gonna keep the the giants from coming in and destroying you now and then he dies so uh and so then the guy that did all this just wanders off leaves his suit of armor his his steampunk armor and just wanders off never to be seen again and this is 500 years later and this section of the world to the north has become overrun by a character that's a dragonborn that is just sweeping down from the north. So I'm stealing from Mistborn. I'm stealing from uh, from Game of Thrones, right? <laughs> and but um, and so the characters were ultimately supposed to try and see. There was a rumor that there that the that this um, original king that had had all these kingdoms together that he had been resurrected. And so the long storyline was, is this guy resurrected? Is he good? Is he bad? Do we help him? Do we harm him? What's our role? Um, that was kind of where everything was going to go eventually. But because I had to spend so much time getting them in one place, I was not able to really give them a lot of leads. Um, you know, realistically, you know, I would have hoped, I would have liked to have given them five or six different rumors that they could follow up on um, that potentially would lead further down the road to uh, to some kind of end game. And, and instead, you know, gave them two because I didn't have enough time to really get the others in without making it feel really, really like, you know, a video game where you walk in and there's yeah, A, B, C, D, yeah. which one do you want to do? Um, so I, that's probably the biggest difference that it would have made. So just to talk about, so yesterday was our first session of Shadow Spawns. And 
I kind of set myself up for failure and for success at the same exact time. So I wanted to start with our characters not being together. So kind of like what you did. I wanted to start with they were separate and I would bring them together. But as part of our session zero, again, take a drink if you're not drinking alcohol, because we're going to say the session zero so many times you will die if you're drinking alcohol. Uh, they, they knew each other in the past. So they weren't strangers, but they also weren't together. But then on top of that, I decided to start in a flash forward scene where they were already together, but they didn't know how they got there or why. So I started with them together, but I started in a flash forward where they were like, we don't know why we're here or what we're doing. And I actually think the flash forward scene worked out very well because it was an action scene. It was an in media res scene. So we started off, they were on a river being chased in the middle of a thunderstorm. They didn't know who was chasing them or why, but because there was action around them, it didn't matter so much. Like they're trying to survive navigating the storm in the river. They're being shot at. They're trying to defend themselves. So that gave them so much to do that there wasn't a lot of time to worry about, well, who, why are we here? What's going on? But then we transitioned from that into the, you know, sometime in the past, like if you're watching a TV show, you know, the 24 hours earlier, but I did a hours earlier because I don't actually know myself how long it's been. And then things really almost crashed to a halt. And I don't fault my players at all for this. This was all my mistake because I wanted to have sort of an organic meet and greet between all the characters. And then I decided to start with Brad's character who because of the way 13th Age works, his one unique thing is that he basically can't trust his memories. So we start with a character at a tavern that doesn't know why they're there. And I thought this would be kind of a fun scene. Like he could interact, but he's trying to play off. It's almost like the character from Memento yeah. because he's aware of the fact that his memories are, are corrupted. How does he play off not remembering things? Other people don't know that he doesn't remember things. And the scene just didn't work. It, it fell very flat. And again, I think it was me not setting it up. So I very quickly brought in another character so that they would have someone to interact off of. And it's, it, it definitely picked up steam from there. And then it, it led into the rest of it. So, I, you know, even with all the experience I have and knowing that it's best just to start with everyone together, I chose not to do it. And it still didn't work great. So take from that what you will, you, Al, and then you, the audience. Uh, you did want to circle back around to the divorce, though. And again, we don't have to get into anybody's business, but was there something more about that that you wanted to touch on? It more of just a, it, it was, um, okay, this is not too, too, too much of uh, gossipy, I don't think. They, uh, the characters within, within the universe and within the game the wife's character flirted incessantly with my friend's character, <laughs> like just all the time. Um, and no, that had nothing to do with the divorce. The divorce had to do with a whole bunch of other stuff that I am not going to talk about at all. And nothing to do with the game, but I just thought it was funny that you had mentioned that because if you didn't know that the divorce came from a whole bunch of other stuff then you might have thought then yeah maybe it did come from the game yeah. but no it, it really didn't it was just kind of a, a humorous little thing might, might have been more of a symptom than a source uh, situation right right uh, and then the other thing i would want to touch on before we move on is the idea of giving your players too much power early on and you know this is something tom if he's still able to hang out with us might much chime in on as well 
I think that's common for an early, for an inexperienced DM because you want the players to do super cool things. But if you don't have a lot of familiarity with how to finesse and finagle things behind the scenes, that's the easiest way for them to be successful because you don't want them to be super cool. But then they, again, they roll one trying to kick a cat and then they're like, well, I thought I was a super cool character, but why do I keep failing? So here's this powerful item that lets you do these super cool things. But the moment you give them that, every problem has the same solution. It's the super cool thing. And that can be fine, but it can also be a problem. So other than the one character seeming to be maybe more powerful than the others, were there any other problems that came out of, let's say, character A having this super powerful ability or item? Is there anything else that came out of it? Nothing came out of it during the time that we played. I think it would have eventually, because I think that eventually he would have gotten to the point where he didn't have um, any qualms with doing anything. You know, kind of the, I have no fear because my cat's going to bring me back to life no matter what. Gotcha. Um, And I think that would have been problematic down the road. Uh, But I mean, within the three sessions that we had, it really wasn't an issue. What I did not like about it within those three sessions is I had, I had resurrecting cat dude. That's cool. I had, I can blow up things with my gun. That's cool. And then I had another guy that I didn't know what to give him. And he didn't, he didn't articulate what he wanted. He didn't give me anything to give him. Uh, And so it was kind of like, it felt really uneven to me. I don't know that he cared, but it felt really uneven to me to have two guys uh, with super cool powers. uh, One guy that was there. Uh, and then, you know, the other guy, that was a different deal. Um, we created his character specifically to kind of jump in and out. And so it wasn't an issue. But but it really is between those three. I had one that just felt like a short leg. Right. So that's actually probably the thing that I find most interesting and would want to touch on a little bit more. Tom's chiming in that you just give them even more super powerful things. So at least then they have to make a decision between which super powerful thing they do. And that can be, you know, taken as character uh, choice. So I, I've talked about this a couple times before. And I think it's more interesting because you being a newer DM, you may not have the tools or the experience to handle it, but what responsibility does the DM have to try to bring into the game a character whose player just doesn't have the same amount of buy-in for whatever reason. It could be inexperience. It could be personal issues. It could just be whatever the case may be. But I, I had this more in like a, it was a, a convention game that I was running, but you know, I, I thought like three or four of the players were really invested and really involved and one just, I couldn't tell what the disconnect was. Do they not want to be there? Were they not enjoying things? Did they not know how to contribute? But I kept stopping the game to try to like bring them in, bring them in. Like, you know, I would devote time and energy to this person trying to bring them in. And no matter what I did, it seemed like they just didn't want to participate. So there was a point in the game where I just sort of stopped. And I thought as long if they're happy, doing less than everyone else it's not fair to the people who are are invested and are trying to contribute and i'm not giving them as much time because i'm focusing you know squeaky wheel gets the grease situation and i eventually just made the decision to just not care about them as much and that still i think back to that a lot on did i do the right thing 
because I didn't want to hamper those that were invested. You know, we have a two, three hour window of time for this person that was taking all this effort and energy to pull along. And and having to th- look back on it, I think I did the right thing. And if anything, I should have done it earlier because the people who are having fun, I don't want to have make them have less fun trying to bring someone along that just doesn't seem like they want to be there. And and I don't know that there's a good answer. I don't know that there's a right answer at, in, in, in an overall arcing situation. But thinking back on it, should you have maybe just booted that player from the game or should there have been a conversation outside the game like, hey, if you're cool doing less than everyone else, I'm just going to let you do less and move on. Like, what do you think about it now looking back on it sometime later? Um, looking backwards and reading it, I don't think that, like I said, I really don't think he had a problem with it. I think it was more me than it was he. But I think if I was going to redo it, for me, that kind of uh, circles back around to the idea of having a genuine session zero where you're not just talking about how does the group get together, um, but to some degree, unless you already have a story lined out and you've pitched it and they're like, yes, we want to do that story, you're also talking about what kind of story do you want to tell? What kind of adventure do you How much interaction do you want? Do you want to be searching for clues or do you want clues to be given to you? And you can get too far in the weeds that way. Um, but at the same time, I did a... Um, not too long ago, um, before the pandemic, though, unfortunately. So I guess it was a while back nowadays. Um, I did a, a, a one-night, one-shot type deal with a Powered by the Apocalypse game. Uh, and I had people that wanted to play that never played before. It's why I did Powered by the Apocalypse, because I thought this is really simple. It's so narratively driven that I don't even have to worry about explaining to you uh, you know, the different stats and how they're used and stuff. I can just say, here are your moves and so on and so forth. But I did this completely open-minded. We sat down, group of five or six individuals, um, and then myself. So six or seven individuals total. And, you know, it was like, we can, there's these, this is the game. But the moves in this game can be applied to different scenarios. Do you want this to be medieval? Do you want it to be futuristic, sci-fi? What do you want it to be? And that group made the coolest freaking game, dude. It was so cool. I wish they'd have come back and played more because right. they, they created this idea that uh, we want it to be futuristic. We want to be uh, on a spaceship or a space station that's deep in space. Um, it's circular. It's a ring. Um, the ring areas where we're at look like real life, like uh, sky and clouds and, and grass and everything else. And we don't even know that we're on the ring, but we're on the ring. And like, I mean, they, they did all this. I did nothing. I did nothing of it. And they set up the coolest game. And as a result, every single one of them contributed the same amount um, or not the same amount, they all contributed what they wanted to contribute. And you could tell that nobody felt left out. Nobody felt um, that it didn't go the way they wanted to. Uh, I think one of the guys would have preferred to have actually played D&D because he was looking to roll more dice than he actually rolled. <laughs> but, because uh, you don't roll very much in, in a Powered by Apocalypse. But um, the general experience was great. And it made me kind of 
reconsider when I when I am able to get a group together again in person, which I don't even know when that's going to be. Yeah. Uh, not just because of the pandemic, but because I live in a town of like ten thousand people, and not that many people play. So finding a group is tough. But when I when I do get that, fingers crossed, knock on wood, when I do get to that position again. Um, even if I'm planning on doing a particular story, I'm going to have that conversation during that session zero where it's not just how do you guys work together, but also how do you guys work with me? How do you want me to work with you? Um, because I can roll this. I can run this. I mean, you guys want to guys want to go down a bunch of dungeons and fight a bunch of creatures. Sure. We'll do that all day long. We can do that all day long. Um, you want to, you know, solve a mystery. We can do that. You know, what do you want to do? And we'll do it. Um, and I think it worked out really well for this one little experimental session. And I think it would work out really well if I did a full campaign that way. Yeah. So Tom's got a roll. Tom, thank you so much for hanging out as much as you did. Appreciate you as always, buddy. Uh, I think that's that's a great idea when you're moving into, again, session zero. I've said it so many times, please, no one drink alcohol every time. But like it does what you need it to do. It does what you want it to do. You know, you can make it as as limiting or as open as you want when you're talking to your players about what you want the game to be. And I think that's a great avenue to explore is what do you want to get from this game? Because you could have so many different things that comes out of a good session zero uh, or some, you know, maybe not, maybe not even a great session zero, but you still can get things from it. If you put the more you put into it, the more you get out of it. And I think that's something that not everyone thinks of. And maybe even I don't think about a lot. Um, I ran a power by the apocalypse game fairly recently as one of my, you know, month or weekly games I was running mostly for patrons, but other people could jump in and it might even have been time Sparrow who said this. I'm not sure. I get confused between some people on the discord. So I apologize if I'm, if I'm incorrect here, but early on I was having them roll because I felt like I needed them to roll dice but in that power by the pockets game, probably shouldn't have. Probably should have just let things happen narratively, because that's more in the wheelhouse of that game. And I was probably bringing some D and D sensibilities to it that it feels like we haven't rolled dice in a while. And even the game, I didn't necessarily know that we needed to roll dice. It didn't feel like a dice should be rolled. I just felt like, hey, we've been playing for a while and no one's rolled a die. So how about we do that now? Uh, and you know, that's something you can ask your players. Like how much dice rolling do you want to have in the game? Because anytime you bring dice into the equation, you're adding, adding a random element, which for, um, yes, it was for the Monster of the Week game, where um, it just, it felt to me like we haven't done that in a while. So I was correct, it was Tom Sparrow. Thank you again for playing and for the feedback. And I don't think it was necessarily bad that I had them roll, but it makes the game feel a little different. It makes the flow go a little bit differently. And being a little bit less experienced with Powers by the Apocalypse, I was kind of falling back on my D&D nature. And I, you know, it was, I think it was ultimately they were right. I was wrong to do it. But I don't think it was terrible that we did that. It just didn't fit exactly into the themes of the game that we were trying to tell there. And that's something that, again, this was a one shot. If it had been a campaign, I probably should have talked up a little bit more about. So uh, I think what we've decided is that Session Zeros are good and everyone should do them, right? Amen. But what I think what we've also decided is something I'm very passionately about is even if you're not doing it perfectly, the fact that you're doing it is more important because if you're having fun, you're, you're doing, doing it right. It. 
And it sounds like you were having fun despite some of the own problems you created, some of the, the issues. Ultimately, people were having a good time and they would have continued if it hadn't been for these external factors. Yes, sir. All right. So, yeah, I think we've solved it. So we're done, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, let me ask you a random question that kind of comes out of this, but kind of doesn't. Okay. Uh, so as a result of not being able to get a group together that would stay together cohesively, as a result, I ran a lot of Dread games and Tim Candles games and, you know, games that were designed to happen at one time and be done. Mm -hmm. And at one point in time, I ran a lot of Tim Candles games, but I had a character, I, had a, I don't have a character, I had a player that constantly tried to beat the game. Candles that constantly tried to beat the game. Yeah, you can't do that. No. You can't. 17 candles, uh, yeah. No. All right, give me, but, I, but, actually, give me one second. Hold on one second. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh. It is like a million degrees in this room and I'm dying. So, okay. Sorry. Could do that continue. earlier too. Um, no. So, at, at some point in time, it stopped becoming fun for everybody because... Mm -hmm you ended up with this really just ridiculous over the top um, scenarios because you can't beat that game. So you still have to figure out some way to, to do X, Y, and Z as the, as the dungeon master, whatever they call right. it in the game. Game master, whatever. Yeah. Um, so how do you like, have you ever ran into that and how did you address it and, or how would you address it if you ran into it? So again, session zero, I think is, is, hugely important. In this case, you're running one shots is a little bit more difficult, but I think what I do now, because I, I run D&D one shots quite a lot, or I run a particular D&D one shot a lot aimed at, at new players, but I still do sort of a modified session zero because I start out with my table expectations and I say, you are heroes. You are going to work together your goal is to save those that need saving. You're going to put yourself in danger if, if it comes to that, because that's who you are. You are heroes. And I think something similar to that, no matter what the game, is pretty important. You are heroes. You are going to do heroic things. You might be the people who make a sacrifice to sacrifice yourself for the greater good. And that's because that's the type of game we're playing. I think that would be something I would want to do, even if we're playing Dread or, or Ken Candles, just like, this is the type of game where you know at the end you're going to die. So just understand that. This game isn't about can you survive, can you beat the game. It's how well can you play, how good of a death can you have in the game that we're playing. How, you know, how, how does that work? So I think that's what I would do is I would just set those expectations at the top, especially if it's a particular player that you're seeing the same behavior from multiple times is yeah. that you're not calling them out. You're just saying, I want everyone to understand that in this game, at the end, all of you are going to lose. So you need to find your fun in how cool can my losing be, not how can I not lose. Because if you're going into it thinking you're not going to lose, then it's not going to be as much fun for you or for everyone. And I just lay that out on the top at the table. Just, you know, cards on the table situation so that everyone's on the same page as much as can be. That's pretty much the way I thought about it in my head. I, one of these days I'll go back and play, uh, run some 10 candles again, but uh, I'm still burnt out. Like this is literally probably three years later and I'm still burnt out from it, uh, from having that experience. But anyway, moving on. He 
give me one second though. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you for sharing. I do appreciate it. I hope you got something from it and I hope anybody listening now or in the future did as well. Uh, but we're going to move in now to our second improv game. This is the one that everyone seems to enjoy because we make ourselves look really stupid. And that is where have my fingers been? And the object here is that we're going to create a short scene between two characters, you know, using your fingers, uh, perhaps, um, more fingers again if you want to be like a scott and bring in a third because you're just good like that uh and we're going to prompt each other with a scenario that these fingers are in and see how it plays out so again you are the guest uh would you like to give the prompt first or or play out the prompt first i will give the prompt first this time okay so i will start by singing the little song and then you will prompt me so sir where have my fingers been i said where have my fingers been your fingers are getting out of a movie at the theater, the first one you've seen since the pandemic. Oh my gosh, that was the best ever. I mean, I love movies. You know I love, I love movies. Yeah, I know. I know you love movies. And even though I have a nice TV at home, yeah, yeah you definitely have a nice TV at home. And I have like every streaming service imaginable. Yeah, you actually have too many. I, I know I was not talking about that. Just sitting in the theater... That first time again with people and when that soundtrack just boom, boom, kicked in, it was, wow. It was okay. I mean, I got gum on my shoes and the popcorn was overpriced and it was stale. Smack! You're right. No, you're right. It was the best. Not that I condone physical violence, but yes, the first person that says that I'm going to slap. And that is where my fingers have been. (laughs) I love it. <laughs> All right. Uh, are you ready, sir, for your prompt? I'm ready. All right. So sing me a song. <clears throat> where have my fingers been? I said, where have my fingers been? Your fingers are getting on a plane to go to a catacomb. Assuming we can have it this year. Okay. Man, we had to drive three hours to get on this plane. Yeah, I know. But it's worth it because a catacomb's the best. Well, I mean, it is the best, but why didn't we take a plane to this plane? That's too many planes. Okay, and but it would have been faster. Well, it might have been faster, but there's but but there's still COVID. But 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 faster. Like we have shots now. What kind of shots? I thought this was a non-alcoholic plane. <laughs> And that's where my fingers have been. And that's where you have to drive three hours to get onto a plane. No, but the first time I went to the first and only time, sadly, that I went to a catacomb, that is exactly what happened. I had a uh, flight that was supposed to leave from Odessa, Midland, which is about uh, 45 to an hour away. They canceled it literally about two hours before it was supposed to go. And I had to find an alternative, and the alternative was a two and a half hour drive. Oh, yes. So, so sort of random, but well, related. Uh, wife and I went on a cruise together early in our, our marriage, and we had to take like two flights to get. It was like leaving from Florida, or whatever. And our last connecting flight was canceled. So we, the airfare people, the airline people, rented us a car. So we could drive there, 
But we got there, like the boat was like, everyone else was on board. They were ready to disembark. And we're on the phone with her mother because her, her parents were going as well. And she was literally with the captain saying, they're almost here. Please don't leave. Please don't leave. And we, I mean, we basically got to the point where we turned in the rental car and the rental car people drove us to the the dock or whatever, the port, whatever. I mean, we, we had minutes to spare before they were going to just leave us there. Uh, and it was just, and this was before like, cell phones were like a big thing and like gps's so we had like a garmin in the uh, we had bought to take with us to it was yeah it was crazy but yeah so uh missing flights and having to take cars is something i am sadly familiar with all right so we're going to move into cryptozoology and this is where we talk about a monster not always dnd but it often tends to be dnd uh, and we're going to talk about a monster that maybe we have used in the past talk about ways uh, that you might use it in the future so Big Al, once again, you're the guest. So what monster did you bring to the table tonight? All right. So to the table tonight, I brought the doppelganger. The doppelganger, a favorite of mine, and one we have talked about before, but it, we can that's fine because we can always talk about it differently with our different experiences. So what is it about the doppelganger that you enjoy? Well, um, what I really like about the doppelganger is I think that it allows a lot of flexibility in role-playing. That okay. It gives you a lot of different options in terms of going forward and how to do things. So I used the doppelganger in that first. Um, yeah, you mentioned you used it in your first campaign. And uh, it killed somebody. Uh, and, and what, all right, so you'll, you'll appreciate this because um, I know that you believe and I almost completely share the belief. The children are our future. That John, well. Carpenter, that John Carpenter's The Thing is the greatest horror movie ever made. Okay. I don't know about that. It is one of my personal favorites. Best ever made, don't know. Personal favorite, absolutely. All right. Well, we'll go with that then. But the um, the actual interaction that they had under this uh, in this um, place that they found themselves where they did get attacked by the doppelganger played out more like that than it did probably your classical doppelganger where some where a doppelganger is literally being somebody else and then they figure it out and then there's a, a conflict so it was um without a skin so to speak at the time that they ran into it and they were able to defeat it and it took off and i had in the back of my head i never got there because uh it died yep but i had in the back of my head head that the cypher character that I was that rescued them and then disappeared the next day, um, that she would reappear later on sometime in the future and that it would not be her. It would be that doppelganger that they had already fought once. Um, and so it would, it would have another layer to that. And I think that's what I like about doppelgangers in general is that it gives it gives you a lot of flexibility in terms of how you bring it up and then how you possibly revisit it if you want to. And then the other thing that I think is interesting is that it creates a situation where you can um, potentially, if you have the right set of, of players, take a player aside after a, a session and say, hey, guess what? Um, you got tackled and you're in a box and next session, you're gonna be a doppelganger of yourself. And I want you to play it out that way. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, the right, the, right, the right situation could arise where that would be a lot of fun for yes, that person, yeah. for you, for everybody in the table once they figured it out and you had, you know, a, a second level to it and stuff. 
you got to have the right group, got to have everything else, 100%. But I just think that the character, the, the monster itself, lends itself to that kind of flexibility in role playing. Now, if we take that and then we look at, you know, the actual stats, armor class 14, uh, 52 hit points, um, you know, it's not a, uh, it's not a lightweight either. You know, it's, it's like a, a light and medium weight. So it can be kind of a fun and difficult, as I killed some of my characters with, uh, creature for them to run into as well. Yeah. I think the doppelganger, again, is, is, is one of my favorite creatures to use, but I don't use it in what I would say is maybe a classical traditional way, you know, kind of like what you described. If you play a game where death is maybe a little bit more common in my games, it's, it's pretty hard to die. It's that's the classic thing where your characters get in sort of a position where they're like maybe in a cavern, a tunnel, a dungeon, you know, whatever the case may be. And one of the characters gets separated and dies. And then they are now playing the doppelganger. And they're trying to infiltrate the group and they will try to separate them and they will try to kill the other members of the group. And maybe there's more doppelgangers waiting in the wings. And over time, almost like an Among Us style thing, there are now more doppelgangers than players. And when that happens, then you just kill everybody. And I think that could be a great one shot. You know, because again, my kids play Among Us all the time. It's like sweeping the, the planet right now. Everybody loves Among Us. And it is fun to, to watch to watch them play. And you're trying to figure out who you know, who the doppelganger is. And it's almost like, okay, we know someone's a doppelganger, but who? I think that's more of a one-shotty type of a game. I just, because I don't want to, I don't want to get to a game where the expectation is that someone's trying to kill my character. Like, it's one thing if there's dangers and my character dies, that's, that's one thing, but it's like, my character's trying to kill your character. I just, I don't, I don't find that fun. Unless it was a one-shot. So I think in a one-shot, absolutely, I think that could be a lot of fun to play. I think in long-term games, I want to find a way for, for us to get the same sort of effect without the character death. And I think the way it could be there is you have your your characters. The doppelganger wants the characters to do something it needs done. So it infiltrates the group, maybe not as replacing a character, but just as a, as a, an, a, a, a NPC that they would want to help. And the, the doppelganger, I believe it has things that you can like read surface thoughts, right? It can read surface Correct. memories. Correct. So it should be able to glean maybe things that have been happening recently within the player groups, maybe characters who are attracted to each other, maybe characters who are rivals, maybe characters who are secretly plotting, not death, but, you know, against each other and manipulate them to get them to do a certain thing, like take a certain quest, go to a certain place, free a certain prisoner, and then come back out and leave the group and the players were manipulated. Maybe they never even know that they were manipulated by a doppelganger, but they were just being manipulated by an NPC. I think that could be a lot of fun and interesting to do as well. Absolutely. Uh, I do like the idea of playing a character though, who was replaced and then trying to role play like, because you have limited knowledge, you don't know everything. You only have surface thoughts, so Correct. you have an imperfect representation of your character. But that that would take a particular group because they would need to be able to role play well enough that the inconsistencies are noted as inconsistencies, not just well, that's you know we're role playing and yesterday you said this and today you said that. But it's like, wait, I thought I thought you said you didn't like your sister and now you're, you're trying to tell us a story about how you, you know, your sister's your favorite person. Like, do you have a group that would pick up on that 
so that it's fun to try to role play yourself into and out of those situations. Exactly. I think that the flexibility is almost more a product of your actual group, but just the fact that it exists by nature of what the creature is, is why I like the creature because it does give you some really interesting things to, to play out, I think. And then you can even like, you, you know, you can get to uh, doppelganger kids, right? That are chain, changelings and um, doppelganger seduces a woman, has a kid, just takes off because the doppelganger doesn't care. Kid appears to be normal until it becomes something else. I mean, you can have, you can have a whole lot of different storylines, I think, that you can just kind of play with uh, as well. Um, and it can be it can be serious in depth, or it can be super light. Yeah, right on. And and some of this way I think we might have touched on before. Um, but I always like to try to find ways to use monsters that aren't typical, like they're not sacks of hit points you hit with a stick until you die. So think of the way the doppelganger is the hero, or or could be the hero, but needs our players to assist them. So let's say you have a ruler of a nation who's just a complete D-bag, right? I know this is a hard stretch for you, but just go with me. Imagine you have a ruler of a nation who's just a horrible, horrible person. What if there was a way to replace them with a doppelganger who would look like, act like, sound like them, but would have a different ideology that you would try to like move in a different direction, less horrible person-like? Um, would say maybe like the Dave scenario from the movie where maybe that, and again, I don't want to conflate these two things like I'm saying violence. That's not what I'm saying. But let's say that maybe the the ruler of a nation, uh, not even the ruler of a nation, let's just say like a magistrate uh, or a governor or something, is incapacitated. They they die of natural causes or it's a D&D world. They were killed by owlbears. I don't know. But we don't want to destabilize this area. So we bring in a doppelganger to pretend to be them until we can like let people know that they they are not around like so like your job is to like infiltrate an area to help install this duplicate doppelganger for a good reason and then you're trying to maintain the illusion like you you become like their bodyguards and so it's like a sort of a almost like comical uh slapsticky sort of like how can we keep the people that should know better from knowing better while we've helped install this this duplicate, this replacement, I can I think that could be a lot of it. Could be, I mean, it could be very powerfully, like uh, dramatic, but it could also be slapstick comedy, which is probably the way I would go with it. Hundred percent. And and the thing is, what's really cool about it is that all of these options that we're talking about, none of those go against what the doppelganger is, according to the monster manual. It's a neutral, it's a neutral monster. Uh, meaning that, you know, you could probably treat it the same way you would, um, you know, like you were saying, some a hireling, uh, somebody that you hired, a creature that you hired for this express purpose. Not necessarily that, that it's good or bad, but this is what you're trying to do with it. So all these things are just kind of possible. And I like that. I like, I like flexibility and possibility. Yeah. I like the versatility a lot. One of the ways I used them in the past was sort of a retcon. Um, and that's something I do quite a lot when I throw out NPCs. I try to give them interesting tags, just adjectives I'll throw out, adverbs, uh, and just to see what sticks. And I had thrown out an NPC that just had like these, you know, bright green eyes. They were very distinguishing, distinguishable. 
and I didn't didn't kind of realize it. And then later on, there was a different NPC that I also described as having these vibrant green eyes. And one of the players was like, you know, that's the second quote unquote helpful NPC that we've had this game that had these green eyes. That must mean something. And so they really bought into this idea. And so I'm like, okay, well, I'll make it mean something. So then I kept doing it on purpose where like third and fourth and fifth NPC kept showing up, had the vibrant green eyes. And then I basically kind of retconned it that it was a, as a doppelganger that was helping them because they had mutually exclusive or inclusive goals. And that was just a quirk that every time the doppelganger took a, you know, they weren't trying to replace a specific person. They were just trying to blend in like a disguise. They always gave themselves vibrant green eyes. And so they became this NPC that they interacted with multiple times through different characters, but they were always the same person. That wasn't who it was originally, but that didn't violate anything. And it actually became a cooler thing later like the third time around it's like oh, okay now it's the same person all those other times it was also the same person so i that's another way i like to have used doppelgangers in the past i think that's a fun thing to to sort of like make things that don't make sense make sense because it was the same person all along situations you just didn't you just didn't know exactly i didn't even know my own brilliance until the players showed it to me all right, so doppelgangers, as always, if anybody else has, has used them interestingly or has thought of interesting ways that they could be used, please let us know if you're listening right now, throw it in chat. If you are listening in the future, throw it into the comments of that episode. Hit us up on Twitter, that kind of thing. Um, I always like that. Tom Sparrow actually just jumped in uh, a Starfinder game where an elder god was being born and controlling people's mind. The, the control people had vibrant green eyes as well. See, there you go. There's something about vibrant green eyes. Also, uh, going back to Big Trouble in Little China, one of the best movies ever in the world, vibrant green eyed characters also play a prominent role there as well. All right, so we'll move into the last section here. This is audience Q&A. We do have a couple people, Time Sparrow, look, look, looking at my thing here. There's a couple other people that may be hanging out but haven't chatted yet. Totally cool. But now's your time. If you have any questions you would like to ask us, doesn't have to be role-play role related, but kind of makes sense for that. But if you have any questions you'd like for me and Big Al to, to, uh, to touch on before we go, please let us know. Uh, there's a bit of a delay, so while we're waiting for people to maybe write in some questions, one more time, Big Al, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, easiest place to find me is going to be on Twitter. And my handle at, on Twitter is at Big Al the Lawyer. At Big Al the Lawyer. And secondly, if you join the RPG Academy Discord, you're active on there as well. We have it, it's a good community. I know I'm self-serving to say that, but I really do enjoy like at this point I enjoy hanging out on our Discord more than I enjoy hanging out on Twitter. But uh it, there's only a few people, there's probably like twelve people that are like really active on there, then talk a lot and you know, talking about TV shows, talking about movies. Uh, most of us are all on the same page, but even when we disagree, it's fun ribbing like you and Tom and my sort of disagreements about the DCEU movies. Uh, but it's all good natured and, and, and fun. So uh, I appreciate you hanging out there with us. I, of course, am Michael at the RPG Academy. The majority of stuff I do can be found there. I am most active on Twitter and on our Discord. Our Discord is closed. Uh, only that we don't openly post invites because we did that once and then a whole bunch of people um we're jerks and we had to ban them. So, so if you want to join, I'll basically give you the invite, but you have to ask me for it. There's just not posted anywhere. Um, so Baldor225 has jumped in and says, been messing with a module where the plot is players getting stuck between two groups of a doppelganger messing with the royal family that's effectively accidentally made a revenant. Okay, that's the sentence that needs to be read again. 
been messing with a module where the plot is players getting stuck between two groups of a doppelganger messing with a royal family that's effectively accidentally made a revenant. Okay, kind of liking the idea that both groups have done stuff wrong and all, but neither totally in the wrong, and that gives the players some stuff to work out there. Uh, finishes doppelgangers are fun. Yes, I think doppelgangers are a lot of fun. They're very versatile on how you can use them, and you can, again, retconning them or just using them for what they can do and what they want to do. And I also like the idea you talk about having their children, you know, I, I think it actually in the lore, it says that they're not great parents. So they'll basically have kids and then just leave. And then it, like the kid turns 12, it's like a mutant, like their, their powers develop and suddenly are like, Oh crap, I can turn into things. I'm a doppelganger. And often they are kicked out of their family that's been raising them because they're not really who they thought they were, but their parents don't care about them. So you have all these, doppelganger angsty teens in the world and i'm sure that could be fun changelings are a cool idea anyway like even if you're not talking about doppelgangers what's the other creature that does changelings like fairies is that what they are yeah fae there's like in uh shadow of the demon lord the changelings are a character and i think also in eberron changelings are a character but their um histories and like uh where they come from are different but i think in shadow of the demon lord is the traditional fae stole your baby and left a bundle of twigs and when it turns 12, the bundle of twigs becomes a bundle of twigs and you, you realize your baby's gone kind of situation. It's a very dark version versus just, I like to have sex with people, but I don't like dealing with my kids situation. Which would be kind of entertaining though, to have a, a more of a slapsticky probably, but to, uh, to have a, a session or a, a little mini session where you're trying to assist a 12 year old doppelganger in finding his father. Yeah. Yeah. It's like basically you look like child support custody sort of thing. Like you're <laughs> trying to track down like a, a, a deadbeat dad. Uh, I recently watched the Harley Quinn show on um, HBO max. I thought it was glorious. I loved every minute of it. And one of the characters there is Clayface. And in this iteration of Clayface, I think it's voiced by, the guy who plays Wash and Firefly, Alan Tudyk, who's okay. just an amazing voice actor. But they basically play him as he wants to be an actor so bad. And everything's like, I'm an actor. And so when he takes on these, he can change his face into anybody. But he always has to come up with like a backstory on who he is. Like he's not just the the bartender. He's the cowboy bartender. And he's got a hat. And this is why he has the hat. And I like the idea of playing a, a doppelganger maybe who's like a PC. But like that's they're so into creating these characters that they become like annoyingly funny about it. Rather than like, you know, uh, political theory, theory uh, political intrigue, and it's just like over the top slapsticky funny. But the point of that story is if you haven't watched um, Harley Quinn's show, you definitely should because it's really, really good. I kind of want I kind of want somebody to ask me now if they can play a doppelganger so I can say yes, but you have to be a bard. Yep, yeah, a bard doppelganger <laughs> and, and a party of nothing but doppelgangers. That, that, oh, that'd be fantastic. <laughs> we get confusing really fast. People like having, it's almost like a spy game where they forget which, which identity they have been using last time they were in town or they have on a face and someone walks up, it's classic, you know, female walks up and slaps them and they're like, oh God, I don't know who you are. I don't remember who I was last time I was here, what identity I was using. So they, it could be a lot of fun, but, you know, with some seriousness in there as well. And Baldur, I was just giving you a hard time, man. Absolutely, no, don't worry at all about it. I, I figured you were typing fast, and that's just what the way it came out. All right, well, it doesn't seem like we have any questions, so we're going to go ahead and cut things off there. Uh, thank you for those of you who are hanging out in chat. Baldur225, Thomas Barry 0301, Tom was with us for a little bit. Always really appreciate you. Um, 
hanging out with us. It means a lot. If you're watching in the future, we do this every other Wednesday. So join us live next time. Uh, Big Al, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. And uh, I think that'll do it. So we'll do the awkward wave out as I look for the red button. But thank you. And hopefully we'll see you in a couple weeks. And don't forget, Shadow Spawns, two, two Tuesdays from yesterday, we'll be playing session two. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast. We do this show out of love for the hobby and the desire to be ambassadors, welcoming more people into this community. All of our website content will always be free to use and utilize, but there are expenses related to the show. And if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or DriveThruRPG, consider using our affiliate links first, and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy, or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook, or join our Discord, where we like to try to keep the conversation going with our fans as best we can, and are always looking to talk and chat more. Or do none of that. Just continue to listen and enjoy our show. Because honestly, that's enough. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We'll see you next time. music used for our intro and outro is Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, used under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License.